This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. A payroll and HR company needs to be prepared for whatever is going to happen. You could say that over 70 years of experience helping businesses all over the world run smoothly is good preparation. But for ADP, that's not enough. To make sure millions of people are getting paid on time and in compliance, we're staying on top of each new piece of legislation. So when it comes down to it, ADP isn't just a payroll and HR company. We're the company that helps you navigate the complexities. ADP, HR talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. With me, of course, is, as always, Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the I'm Fat Podcast. Got to be honest, Jay, until about, oh, 20 minutes ago, we thought this was going to be a different post-game show than what we ended up getting. And boy, howdy, I am very happy that that's the case as the Chicago Blackhawks stun the Edmonton Oilers four to three in game three of the Western conference qualifying round, Matthew Highmore and either Connor Murphy or Jonathan Tabes, one of the two <laughs> score. In I don't the third, care. <laughs> score in the final six minutes of the game and steal a win away from the Edmonton Oilers. They are now up two to one in the best of five series. Jay, that ending was insane. It was crazy. And you know what's funny? You texted me, what if it goes overtime? What are we going to do? And then you said, and then this happens. You, because you're watching on cable and I'm watching on Hulu, I was about 15 seconds behind. I'm like, what is he talking about? And I'm like, oh, face off in the Hawks zone. Maybe they score. And sure enough, uh, they did credit the goal to Jonathan Taves. It doesn't matter. Hawks win 4 3. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Hot Mike. I know it's late, but we've got 36 people viewing this already which is absolutely tremendous it is 12 21 in the morning as we do this live podcast and if you're listening on the madhouse podcast traditionally thank you for doing that as well easy to get in touch with us madhousepod at gmail.com we're on twitter at madhousepod instagram madhouse underscore pod and we're on facebook at madhouse hockey chi <sighs> a lot to get to and <laughs> i find i found myself of two minds in Okay, extreme frustration with the power play not being able to deliver. Very obvious. But at the same time, when the Hawks tied the game and then when they won the game, I found myself thinking that they deserved it. They worked their ass off in this game. Game one, Edmonton were passengers. Game two, the Hawks were passengers. This game, it was a battle. It was back and forth. 
and the Hawks did not give up. And I think again, at five on five, they had the advantage in play and uh, man, it's just, it just felt like every time the Hawks made a mistake, Edmonton would score. And then every time the Hawks would get like a good look, it would get blocked or hit a post. What they hit five posts. I believe that that is correct. That's unreal. I don't, I, I don't, I can't recall ever seeing that in a game before. So, you know, it out they didn't get frustrated what did concern me is after they tied it they had a huge letdown shift it was almost as like as if they exhaled and then edmonton had a good sustained shift right then but man they held on took the lead and then the i love that it was props to jeremy cullen taves camp sod murphy keith <laughs> those are the <laughs> five the five forwards i trust to keep the puck out of the net and uh they were able to do it and uh hawks win two one and man you said it an hour ago, I was like, ugh, I was just dreading having to do this again. But here we are. Hawks win 4-3, lead the series 2-1. to one, And uh, back on home ice <laughs> on Friday. And a 5.45 start on Friday. So we don't have to stay up till all hours of the night to do this on Friday. Excellent. Well, see, everybody's going to complain about, like, the 9.30 start times. And then we're going to be all like, oh, 5.45. It's going to be awesome. And then, you know, darn well, that game's going to, like, three overtimes, man. It's going to completely screw with you just because it can. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Well, as if playoff hockey doesn't screw with me enough. It's funny. I had forgotten the sensation of the stress playoff game. It had been a while. I think well, our, if there's uh, anything that can remind you of it, it's them hitting five freaking posts uh, in the game and you just yanking out a little bit more hair each time that they do it. It's like Homer Simpson when Marge told him that she was <laughs> pregnant with each of the kids and eventually he just has like two hairs left on top of his head. Yeah, but those held on through what, 45 seasons or whatever it's been of the Simpsons. Man, just unreal. Uh, I know we're getting a lot of comments here in the chat. I think I said five forwards. I meant five players. The five players I trust to defend a lead late in the game. Obviously, I misspoke. It's 12.30. Give me a break. Uh, by the way, you might notice the tip jar up there in the corner. If you want to fill that up for James and I, we'd appreciate it. It does, uh, you know, it does take away from our lifestyle a little bit to stay up this late and do these things. So if you want to pop in a buck or five bucks or ten bucks, we'd greatly appreciate it. And tell a friend. Download the Hot Mic app. Use that promo code MADHOUSE and join us uh, after game four. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating a Hawks series win. How about that? Wouldn't that be crazy? It would absolutely be crazy considering where we were with literally, what, six and a half minutes left in this hockey game. I wasn't feeling overly optimistic that they were going to get it done. It felt like one of those nights where just every single opportunity that they had was falling by the wayside. And it was just like, well, it's clearly going to be one of those super frustrating nights. And those tend to happen in these short series where every win is just absolutely critical. You get one of these games and it's just kind of going to do you in. God, how would you feel right now if you were the Edmonton Oilers? They have to feel so deflated right now. They got two goals from Leon Dreisaitl. They got a goal from Connor McDavid. They were cruising to this win, suffocating the Blackhawks and forcing them out to the edges of the ice so much in the third period. And then all of a sudden, bang, bang, and it's over. And you're down two to one. And you're going into game four where the Blackhawks are still the home team. And I showed the air quotes to the uh, hot mic folks just now. (laughs) Yes, you did. Uh, Man, you know, it's uh, I guess the good thing about being on the power play for all two minutes. Two minutes where Connor McDavid is not on the ice and. (laughs) into their hands man i know and we're going to get into the power play i know we're sort of reeling over the uh exciting victory but we've got to get into some of the actual analysis too 
And uh, man, one of the things about that game was just every time number 97 is on the ice, it is terrifying. It's terrifying. And that goal he scored uh, where he just pulled it off Corey Crawford's pad and just like nonchalantly was like, hmm, hum. here I go. I'm going to go ahead and make a play. Uh, no problem. Roof a little backhander. Hmm, I'm Connor McDavid. It's no big deal to me. I do these sort of things all the time. <laughs> so it's just, it's just unbelievable. And uh, man, I, here we are. They're on the cusp of winning a playoff series and then advancing to the playoffs, which is the, <laughs> the strangest thing, the strangest way to say it, but it's the damn truth. I actually just wrote that in my uh, game recap over at NBC. The Blackhawks would advance to the playoffs if they win on Friday. And I was like, that really is like, it's still so weird to me that it's, but it's true. They're technically not in the playoffs. I like the uh, Carolina Hurricanes the other day, or I think it was yesterday, used the Stanley Cup playoffs logo. And they were like, well, we could finally use this now after they had dispatched of the Rangers. It was really, it was funny to me to think that the Blackhawks are a win away with their record being last place in the Central Division. They are actually a win away from making the freaking playoffs Jay. Yeah. what <laughs> world are we living yeah. in right now i don't know i'll take it and i uh comment here from tj he says crow looking mildly terrible the hawks played well there were a couple moments uh of this game where i don't know where Corey was going when he pirouetted into the boards behind the net but i think today was by far his best performance i think that he stopped a lot of redirections a lot of the goals that went in were tipped, especially the. I'm losing track already. Was it the Drysital goal? I believe where, it was Drysital's second goal got deflected by yeah. Matthew Highmore, who we'll talk about him. We're going to get to Matthew Highmore. We have to. Yeah. It deflected off of him. Crawford couldn't control the rebound, and Drysital ended up scoring on but it. But it was a tough save because Crawford had to kick, it changed directions. Crawford had to kick that leg out, got a piece of it, and then. I don't know where Olimata was <laughs> and I know, you know, he, he scored a goal again, just like he did last game, but he was on the ice a lot when the puck was going in the net for the other team. Well, that's, um, and that's what I said on Twitter. I said that we were getting the full Olimata experience tonight. We had the, the goal on the smart shot. Then we had the dumb defensive positioning and the turnovers. And we, we definitely got, we went full Olimata tonight. And as I'm sure many of our listeners know, you don't go full Olimata. No, he was on the ice for all three uh, Edmonton goals, but he finishes even which is kind of crazy when you Got think a lot about of it. Plus minus man. <laughs> yep. Shows you how little it truly matters. And he only played 13, 11. Did it feel like only was on the ice the entire game? It, well, I mean, it's because he, he was on the ice for every significant moments, both good and bad. So yeah, of course. Yeah, dude. I just real, I just looked at this. Do you know the Blackhawk who was second in time on ice tonight? I'm going to guess Kirby doc. That is correct. Kirby freaking Doc, 23-21 tonight, out-ice-timed Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan. Just absolutely crazy. The only guy, of course, he didn't beat was Duncan Keith because, well, it's Duncan Keith. That should not surprise you at all. No. But, man, Jeremy Colleton used Kirby Doc a lot tonight in a lot of different situations, played over six minutes on the power play and played almost two minutes at shorthanded, too. Why would you not? He's one of your most effective forwards. I think 
He was the most noticeable, partly because of his size, but he's making things happen. He's winning puck battles behind the net. He's driving to the net with speed. That shot block that Russell made, he Doc was alone in the slot, and Russell his skate on it. Man, and, and then Doc hits the post in the first period. What a, I mean, if this guy starts converting on some of these great looks he gets, the sky's the limit. He was so impressive. He has been this entire series, but another really strong game for Kirby Doc. All right, real quick, going to tell you about our sponsors, Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. They're still churning out those masks. Chris at TripleThreatSports.com. And, of course, our longest-running sponsor, Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street. They're family-owned and operated since 1933. Go get yourself a poor boy. Go get yourself some onion rings. Go get yourself the twice-baked potato. Oh, that you have to get the twice-baked potato when you go. The great craft beer menu. James's favorite, the Yodel Burger, 604 Theater Street in Crest Hill. Go visit them, marishkas.com or facebook.com slash marishkas. A lot of people in the comment section, uh, including Rob Beavis, who follows us everywhere. Thanks, Rob. Mentioning <laughs> Dylan Strom today. Uh, Dylan Strom is a non-factor and, uh, not actually, maybe he's a factor in a bad way. He looks lost. He looks shaken. He looks unsure. How many wide open opportunities to shoot did he have where he tried to thread the needle on an impossible pass? Look, you and I talk about it all the time. We're numbers guys. We understand numbers matter, but these guys are human beings and you are seeing the human element of Dylan Strom's game. You can see that self-doubt in his face when he's on the ice. And it's been that way the entire series, too. This is not a unique thing to tonight. I think we pointed out in game two, we thought he looked really rough. He was having a bad game. And it's it's becoming increasingly increasingly clear to me i know english i promise it's just after 12 30 at night and sometimes it doesn't sound very good but anyway he has his confidence has been completely gone the entire series i have not noticed him do much of anything positive in this series it just seems like he's he's lost right now man he's fighting whatever it is He's absolutely fighting it. There's a reason he's not getting the same ice time that he usually gets. There's a reason he's not still the same impact offensive player that he usually is. I mean, think about it. When you are one of your team's least ice time heavy forwards in a game, he only played 11 minutes and 30 seconds tonight. Dylan Strome is losing a bit of trust, I think, from Jeremy Colleton, and rightfully so. He's not doing the things that he's so good at doing. He can't win a face-off, only won five out of 15 draws tonight. He only had one shot on goal the entire game. Didn't have any hits, didn't have any takeaways, didn't have any block shots. Literally just an almost a complete non-entity on the score sheet tonight. And simply put, like if you're going to consider yourself to be one of this team's top six forwards and potentially one of this team's top Two centers, obviously, with Kirby Doc's emergence, that situation becomes a lot more tenuous for him. But if you're going to consider yourself all of these things, these are the types of games where you earn your money, you earn your status. And he, frankly, is just not living up to the challenge at all. And Kirby Doc is lapping him right oh, now. Absolutely. Absolutely, he is. And, you know, this is something I'm going to get into, and I, I plan on getting to. As we, if the Hawks lost this game, because it was something I observed, uh, but just Strom is sort of a microcosm of the way the Hawks play offense, where it's very 
uh, hesitant until halfway through the third period. The Hawks didn't attack very much. Everything is very predicated on like, all right, let's slowly enter the zone. Let's slowly move the puck around. There's no go. There's no north and south with the Blackhawks. It's when the guys who play, do the play that style are Taves, Sod, Doc, and the fourth line. And that's really it. Yeah. You need your entire team to have this approach of attack. You've got a ton of offense. That's one thing the Blackhawks have is guys that can put the puck in the back of the net have some swagger about it they everything is so careful and dylan strom more than anybody is playing that way and that sort of takes me to the power play which is a huge story from tonight's game yeah you cannot and this is what they've done joel quenville did this and jeremy cowton adopted this joel quenville method of wanting your power play to be a highlight reel goal every time they are playing for the tic-tac-toe you know, side of that behind the net out in front goal or the cross crease goal. It's scouted. It's defended. You don't have the skill players you had when you had Patrick Sharp and all those guys on the team. And guess what? It didn't work that great back then either. You just had such an awesome team that they were able to overcome a subpar power play with this roster. It's not going to work. I thought the second power play unit generated more than the first and yeah they were out there maybe a third of the time of that unit but when they were out there they were at least keeping it simple putting pucks on the net all those things the power play needs to change and pat and eddie said it someone needs to move that's what eddie said someone needs to move you can't have five forwards standing around looking at patrick kane is patrick kane like when your controller dies in nhl 20 just sitting there like stick handling back and forth Someone's got to do something. Someone has to help Patrick Kane out. And in the game one, the power play showed a lot of motion. Guys were moving around. Games two and three, why did you go away from that? It was working. The power play looked good in game one. I don't get it. Well, what? Okay, so we have to talk, I think, a little bit about the X's and O's of this because we've been talking about it both in games two and three. The Blackhawks are having this issue of not being able to move around the ice. Like, I, when Eddie was saying what he said about the Blackhawks needing to move on that power play, I literally almost flipped my laptop out of my lap because my hands just went up like, what are you doing? Like, I hate being like the shoot guy, but good God. But at some point you have to shoot the puck. They need to do something. They literally, all they're doing is letting Edmonton relax for two minutes. I believe Thomas Drance from the athletic had a great stat at one point tonight, right before the end of the second period, the Blackhawks had had over eight minutes of ice time at five on four. They had four shots, dude. It was not good at all. It was just, again, the same thing that they kept doing in game two, and they were expecting a different result. The Blackhawks need to get Jonathan Taves out of the Artemi Panarin Memorial one-timer role that he's apparently in right now. (laughs) And it just, it strikes me that they went away from a strategy that resulted in them scoring three goals on the power play in game one. And they've come back with this. They had so many opportunities to put this game away tonight on the power play, and they just couldn't do it. They weren't cycling the puck properly. They weren't positioned properly. None of that stuff mattered. And frankly, if they do advance into the playoffs, again, sounds so weird to say it, but if they advance into the playoffs, 
that is something they absolutely have to get figured out because they are going to get annihilated by whatever top four team they end up playing. Yeah, and uh, Jarner, I hope I said that right, Jarner, in the chat brings up a good point. The Oilers had, aside from their incredible power play, their historic power play, they had the number two penalty kill in the NHL, and, and they did a good job against the Blackhawks. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, that said, though, you're very easy to kill when you're not moving. Mm. You've got to move. And we've talked about this before, and this has been a theory of mine for a while, is as skilled as Patrick Kane is, I think he can be a little bit difficult to play with sometimes because he's so in control. He's such a freelancer that I think sometimes guys are afraid to, to move around too much. Cause they're like, if I stand here, chances are, he's going to find the tape of my stick. And I don't want to be the guy that moves right when the pass comes. So I get that. I, I get there's some hesitance when Patrick Kane is the quarterback of everything, but they've got to get this sorted out. But Hey, they're up two games to one. There was a lot of good stuff in this game and like i said when we started i think despite the frustrating moments of the game the hawks deserve to win they played hard again they hit five goal posts yeah which i mean look i know those happen to every team but five and that taves one how the hell <laughs> how the hell did that oh, not go man. in i i got to know unreal. man it's un- I, it's un- I, unbelievable that didn't go in well, and if we're going to start talking about positives, I think that we need to honestly talk about the thing that proved to be the difference in their offense tonight. And that was the willingness of their blue liners to continue to get the puck towards the net. That is just such, that's a thing that's been working for them throughout the series. We've seen guys like Slater Cuckoo activating constantly in this series. He has looked so good in games two and three of this series. I have been so impressed with what he's been doing. And I mean, you saw it in the, obviously in the stats tonight, he had the assist. He just is active all over the ice all the time on offense. I've loved the speed that he's been bringing in these playoffs, like I've been so impressed with what he's been doing, but it just, again, it gets back to this idea that the way that you're going to score goals is not by just like standing stationary and slinging the puck around the corners and the sides of the ice. You have to start just getting this puck into dirty shooting lanes before Edmonton can get set up to block it. And we saw that on multiple goals tonight. And I really appreciate the fact that the Blackhawks defensemen have been so willing to take advantage of that uncertainty on the part of Edmonton and not to let them get settled in. At least at even strength, they've been doing that. Yeah. I mean, you you hit it right in the head. There's not much I can add to that. That's I mean, that's that's what we pay you for, James. That's a sort of hard hitting analysis that we like to see. A um, couple other things. I, I really the first line should not be tampered with. I very much like it. Uh, I I like the Taves start of the game against McDavid. I think that was sort of a, a logical choice to do that. I know David Camp matched up against him pretty well later in the game, too. And David Camp's another guy who needs some praise for the way he's played in the series and especially the way he played tonight. Uh, defending uh, McDavid or Dreisaitl very well uh, at even strength and then driving to the net. In the third period, he had yep. a nice sort of uh, power move. If you, if anyone follows David Camp on Instagram, boy, and if you're not, you're missing out. It's very exciting. Uh, that dude is jacked. Like, he is ripped. Like, maybe, aside from Duncan Keith, maybe the most jacked guy on the team. He's like a workout fanatic. And you see it in his skating. and his he, For a dude of sort of like average NHL size, 
he's strong. He's strong on his skates. Not the fastest skater, not the best hands in the world, but he's got that power to drive past people. And you saw that on display in the third period. So um, I thought he played well. I think he deserves some credit. A lot of people asking about Alex Nylander better today. Not great, but at least kind of doing what you want him to do. You know, when he gets his limited ice time, get a couple shots on goal, keep the puck away from the other team. I, I don't have a lot of huge complaints about him. He had two shots on goal and 1144 of ice time. Also 154 of power play time. He's got to be better. They gave up too much for him to just be another guy, but at least he wasn't horrible in this game like he was in game two. I, I do want to go back to David Camp for a second. I do want to ask you uh, just kind of a coaching question, I think, about him. And I know he did he, he did have a penalty in this game, so obviously it knocked down his time on ice uh, shorthanded a little bit. What have you thought of David Camp as a penalty killer? Like, is he a guy that you trust to be the center on your penalty killing unit? Uh, yeah, I, I trust him. I, you know, I've said all along, I think he's kind of just a dime a dozen sort of a dude, but he's done a good job in this role against the best player on the planet. Maybe I wasn't giving him enough credit. Maybe he's just extra focused because of the role he's given right now. Um, hello cat. Yeah. Cr <laughs> Critter wanted to make an appearance on the, uh, on this event tonight. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy I trust, but at the same time, like, you know, I feel like in a year or two, they'll just move on to somebody else and it'll be someone similar and he'll have a similar kind of a role. So uh, I'm not trying to sell the guy short. He had a great game. He had a great game tonight and has had a pretty good series. Um, but I'm not ready to make any sort of like huge opinion altering thoughts on him. Well, he did have a I'm just going to point out that he had the third worst uh, Corsi on the team tonight. Well, but look who he's matched up against, right? He's up against McTav McDavid and Dreisaitl. It's one of those two the entire game. So right. it's under, I mean, it's understandable. I would like to see if you have natural stat trick open in front of you, his zone starts and finishes. Do you have that available? I feel like there are a lot of shifts where he started in the defensive zone and they would end up in the offensive zone, which is a good thing for a fourth line, especially up against uh, a, the talent they were up against. If I'm, you can find that, I, look I, it up. I'm currently trying to look it up right now. I sometimes forget where these things are on the, uh, natural stat trick, a website that I dearly love. I'm it's very good. Is it is it in the shift report? By this is oh here we go. And of course, the great thing about this is I have to try to remember what line David Camp is on. So David Camp tonight had zero defensive zone starts. He did not have any. He started in the offensive zone twice, the neutral zone twice, zero in the defensive zone, and then eight classified as on the fly. Is that five on five? Yes. I wonder if it if switches the penalty kill, how it would look. Well, I can e pretty easily do that, buddy. And the answer to that question is that David Camp's in the middle of the chart. Why? Why must you be in the middle of the chart, Camp? Because <laughs> nothing's easy. No, nothing can be easy. He had two defensive zone starts on the penalty kill tonight. That's crazy. I felt like, yeah, whatever. I felt like he was there all the time. The, the eye test isn't always right, but I, I'm not going to disagree with your initial point that I thought he had a solid game, you know, Corsi aside. All right. Uh, got a lot of comments here in the chat room. Thank you for joining us. Trying to kind of so sort through all this stuff. Uh, someone asked, I, I, it's, sorry, it refreshed on me. Is Brandon Sod still part of this team's core at $6 million? Uh, that's a really good question. And Aside from not finishing, I really like what Brandon Sod's doing. I mean, 
He hit a post today, too. He's everywhere he needs to be. He's still fast enough. He's still effective enough. He still generates offense. But just the ability to finish hasn't been there. And when you look at potential ways to free up money, it could be kind of tempting to look at moving Brandon Saad. However, I feel like doing that just sets you back, right? Like it's it doesn't sure you trade him and you get some cap space to sign. I don't know Dylan Strom, but at this point now, where I was Team Strom up until the restart here, I don't know how much money I'm giving him, man. Like it's are you allowing three games in the playoffs to like dissuade you from what you've been saying about Dylan Strom the entire season? Well, I want him back, but you see how how much better Doc has gotten over the last four months yeah. of the stoppage. Which was exactly so, what they had hoped would happen. Right. So his ascension to the two center has already happened. I think when we were talking about Strom's future, we were saying like, all right, like Doc will probably need another year or so to kind of really fall into that second line center role. Kirby Doc's there now. That is something I'm ready to say after three playoff games. I do think Kirby Doc is is the number two center on his team right now. And right there, coupled with Dylan Strom's lack of performance, I guess you could say this season, but he was he was injured, so that that plays a factor. We gotta give him that credit for sure. Um, but this is a guy we were talking about maybe making four or five million bucks. Yeah. When you're up against the cap, that's tough. I don't like I don't know if I can justify that. Maybe Strom knows that. I'm sure the Hawks know that. Um, if they can get him for four or under, I'd consider it, but I don't know if I'm going over that at this point. I'd rather keep Sod, I think. <clears throat> I I mean, I there was a reason we were discussing potentially trading Dylan Strom at the trade deadline, right? Like I, I know that like Kirby Doc wasn't at this level at the trade deadline, but he certainly had already started to show some of the skills that we were hoping that he would show coming out of junior league going into this season. And just the way that Dylan Strom, like his numbers this season were not overly impressive. It, it, it kind of scares me still how completely like off he looks when he's not with Alex DeBrinkett. Like that, that has to play into this decision because if you're going to be that wedded to a guy, you better darn well be producing at a number one forward level. And he just, he isn't man. Like I, I, I can't say enough that like, you cannot pay him four and a half or $5 million to be your third line center. You can't rely on him to produce. You can't rely on him to do the things that you would be paying him to do. Well, someone else you met, you mentioned, and they've already paid up on this guy. Alex to You want to talk about someone who's not been a factor in the series. Alex to is number one on that list to me in, in terms of expectation versus realization. Sure. You can talk about Alex Nealander. You can talk about Dylan Strom, whoever Debrinkin is a guy who scored 40 goals before it's a guy who is on the cusp of a $6 million contract kicking in. And he's been absolutely invisible in this series. And in this game, uh, credited with three shots on goal and two more shot attempts in the game, took a bad extra penalty, uh, ended up with an, ass- excuse me, with an assist in the game. Yeah. Um, but just that's a guy who you expect to be someone that the other team worries about, someone that they keep an eye on, and someone they're like, okay, where's 12? Where's 12? Where's 12? You always hear Pat Foley say that when the Hawks are up against like a really skilled team, he'll say, you know, where's 97? Where's 97? There he is. Or where's Daniel? Where's Henrik? He would do that against the Canucks. That's the mindset that when you're paying a guy what you're paying, 
Alex Debrinkit and a guy who scored 40 goals, that needs to be the mindset of the opponent. The Oilers don't seem to pay him much mind at all. He just seems like another guy out there. And let me ask you this. And again, qualifying this three game sample size, I'm not saying take this guy over Alex Debrinkit, but who did you notice more, Drake Kajula or Alex Debrinkit? Uh, I probably noticed uh, Drake, honestly, more tonight. I thought that I, I actually made the comment when Debrinkit took the two penalties. I was like, well, that's the first time I've said his name all night. Yep. Like he definitely to me has been. And again, like you said, I was going to add that qualifier that this is a three game sample size. Of course, yep. I have not observed Alex Debrinkit doing much of anything like he he seems to have been for some reason like you would you would think that he'd be right in his element in a series that it seems like there have been a lot of situations where it's been kind of a track meet of going up and down the ice and really playing a faster pace of hockey to bring it really has it almost seems like he's completely out of his element he's out of his game like you saw I think those penalties tonight like you could tell how frustrated and pissed off that that guy is right now that he's not producing more and the thing that i'm curious about jay is what do you do with him in terms of his line mates do you leave him with patrick kane and kirby doc and just hope that he can get going or do you think that he needs to be potentially bumped to another line and somebody needs to be bumped up and i will say as a qualifier to that I don't have a clue in hell who they would bump up <laughs> other than maybe like, I don't know, a Kajula. Like that's literally like, I wouldn't do Dylan Strom. Like screw no. that. Like why on earth would I swap out that guy for that guy? Like they've both been pretty lackluster in this series. Like literally, unless you're willing to have like Kajula try it out or maybe try one of the unproven kids like a Kurashev or a Sakura. I don't know who the heck you put in in place of Debrin kid on that line. I don't, well, you're not taking him out. That's for sure. And TJ says here, uh, taking Kajula over to, I didn't, I don't, I'm not taking Kajula over to Brinkett. I'm not, I'm just saying that. I'm just saying Kajula, that that's at least something you wouldn't have to like really do yeah. a whole lot of lineup shuffling to do. And we know that Kajula can bump up from the third line to the second line pretty easily and change the role that the Blackhawks want him to play. That's the only reason I suggested that. Well, let me ask you this. And, and I mean, technically it would be a promotion for to but would you flop him and flip flop him and Kubalik? Would you I mean, put him on the top question. line? It's, with not, it's and... not like Kubalik lit the world on fire tonight. He only had one shot on goal. So maybe give it. I a don't know. Goal. It's just you're on the cusp of of winning a series here. I, I think to over overcorrect would be a bad decision. Mm. The Oilers have all the pressure on them right now. The Hawks have pretty much come out and said, like, look, whatever happens for us is gravy. We've got nothing to lose here. If we lose a series, we've got a 12.5% chance of the number one overall pick. And Edmonton has all the pressure to not lose on their real home ice to a 12 seed. They're real all... garbage ice, by the way. Good Lord, man. Well, you got, you know, how many games happening. And Eddie and Pat point that out. The ice by the end of the day is deteriorated a lot. But you, well, saw, you would like, think you, know, you would think that the Blackhawks would feel right at home on that. Then it's not like the United Center has great ice. No, they don't. The United Center has bad ice. That is <laughs> that is that's true. I did want to give a shout out to uh, listener Ray, who did again, like we did this when we were talking about Edmonton's penalty kill. Uh, Tippett's defense the last couple of games has actually done a really good job of eliminating some of the soft spots that guys like Debrinkit and Kubelik were getting into with impunity in game one. Like, I, I will concede that they have done a really good job of that, but still, 
you're a 40 goal scorer, Alex, you have to figure out a way to get open and to potentially create opportunities. And I just don't, I don't feel like he's doing that. All right, let's take a quick timeout. We got a couple questions in the chat. I want to get to some really good stuff. Thanks everybody for joining us. It's uh 1 a.m. and we have uh, nearly 70 people uh, watching us do the podcast live here on Hot Mike. Thank you so much. If you're checking out the podcast on uh, what day? I don't even know what day it is. Thursday. If you're listening to it, Thursday morning. Yeah. Yes. If you're listening to it uh, during your workday, thank you. But join us on Hot Mike after Game Four. Download the Hot Mike app. Use that promo code Madhouse when you sign up. And then come join us post game for these things are a lot of fun. And those of you that are here in the chat room now, feel free to hit up that tip jar. A couple of people have. Thank you very much for doing that. We greatly appreciate it. Before the break, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop, the Nashville hot chicken, the best I've ever had. And I've had Nashville hot chicken from all the places that they say to have Nashville hot chicken from. Fry the Coop is the best. Oaklawn, Westtown. Elmhurst are coming soon to Tinley Park and other places. Go to frythecoop.com, check out the menu, check out the heat levels, and plan your trip. You will not regret it. It is an awesome place. James and I will be right back with more here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. What up? This is Robert Ory. You might know me as Big Shot Bob, and I want you to check out my new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. We'll always be talking hoops, football, sports, and I'm going to bring you some big guests like Lakers legend Shaquille O'Neal in our premiere episode. I know I didn't come in to train and camp the best of shape, but... Well, well you I'm, did one time. Yeah, well, 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 well. <laughs> Subscribe now to The Big Shot Bob Pod on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG, open makes more possible. Well, there's a lot of terrible things to say about me, James. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for hitting up the tip jar. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, All right. Since uh, we're interactive and we're live... Uh, I thought we'd do a special treat. All the rage these days are these unboxing videos. I've got a Dr. Squatch soap with me right here. Now, this is my crisp IPA scented. And confession, it didn't crack because I dropped it when I unwrapped it. So you're going to see half a bar here. That's a half bar of Dr. Squatch, all right? That is what you get right there. The smells, mmm, hoppy, orangey. Absolutely wonderful. I love the crisp IPA. I love the pine tar. I love the cool, fresh aloe and the uh, cold brew cleanse. Those are my favorites. What is Dr. Squatch? Dr. Squatch is a natural soap and hair care company. DrSquatch.com is a website. Madhouse is the promo. Save 20%. We upgraded the deal for you listeners. It was 10% before. Now it's 20%. DrSquatch.com. Take that Squatch quiz pick out the items you want and then enter that promo code madhouse and you will save on your order and help out James and I also they just launched their line of toothpaste I'm getting it tomorrow maybe I'll brush my teeth on the podcast on Friday that would be really appealing for everybody so thanks for tuning in check out Dr. Squatch the madhouse audience has really uh taken to Dr. Squatch very well I've gotten a lot of emails from people that are very very happy so go get yourself some thick bricks join Squatch Nation at drsquatch.com promo code madhouse all right so since everyone could hear us in the break anyway we might as well answer the question we were discussing um could you package dylan strome and alex nylander at the draft what do you think would be a realistic return for those guys 
I I'm always like intrigued to see what RFA rights can glean for a player. Exactly. Good point to make because trading Stromy would have to sign with whoever trades for him. Right. Which I mean, the the Blackhawks have done that before where they've traded guys who are approaching RFA. I just I don't I think Strom you're going to get something for. I think I'm I'm not thinking you're going to get a ton, obviously, probably a decent draft pick or two, maybe a prospect. The thing I just I don't see what Nylander's like huge value honestly is right now. Like I don't. I don't think like he's a sweetener at all in a deal like that. I feel like he's more of a guy that you treat like a, why am I blanking on the guy that used to play on the Red Wings? Is it Thomas Tatar that they traded for basically nothing? Like that's kind of where Nealander almost is right now. Yeah. You're not, his value is probably lower now than it was when they traded Henry Yokoharu for him. And that's kind of hard to believe. Because when that trade was made, people were like, what are the Blackhawks doing? Why are they making this deal? And when, I mean, to the point where when I first saw the trade, I'm like, the Hawks traded Yoka, are you for William Nylander? That can't <laughs> be right. And I'm like, oh, it's not right. It's Alex Nylander. Yeah, that makes not. a little more sense. But just the league-wide reaction was, Nylander, kid's kind of a bum. We talked about uh, his lack of hockey IQ. His work ethic was questioned. I don't know if that's fair. Uh, but that was a question when the trade was made. I think coming off a subpar season and an unimpressive playoff performance, I don't think that adds much value to the trade package. Now, trading Dylan Strom's rights, that's something I'm certain they're considering. And if it's for a third or fourth round pick, or if it's for a prospect, or maybe both, I don't know. I'm not ready to totally give up on Dylan Strom yet. I can't. I can't do it yet. The sample size of him being effective and good is too large for me to turn on him after three games. It just is. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, we have all summer to explore this, but we're talking about the Kubelik versus Strom thing. One guy's here and one guy's here. And the better Kubelik gets, the more money he's going to have to get paid. And that lessens the chances of bringing Dylan Strom back. So it's a question we have to ask. All right. Uh, we've been here for 41 minutes. I think we've done a good job of covering this game. It is one in the morning. James, game four. Friday at 5.45 p.m. Again, we'll be here on Hot Mike after the game on Friday. Anything you're changing heading into game four, or are you sort of staying status quo with things as of now? I think about the only things I would consider changing right now would simply be to look into, honestly, like taking Nylander out of the mix. Like, I'm just, I'm kind of over it. Like, I'm I'm willing to see what can I get out of a guy like a Dylan Secura for nine or 10 minutes in a game? Like I'm not saying to do the John Quenville thing and fricking have him play like four minutes, which is undoubtedly what Jeremy Colleton would do. I would like to see somebody like that get some run because I think we've seen enough of the Nylander movie. I'm not a huge fan of it and I'd rather stop watching it. So I think (laughs) that needs to be, a definite consideration for the Blackhawks. I would also be intrigued to see what Cal if Colleton's going to still be sticking with main what it seemed to be. He's sticking with his uh, defensive pairings. He did have Duncan Keith and uh, Slater Cuckoo out there a couple of times, which I thought was really interesting in the game. I'm interested to see if he ends up switching that up again. He definitely gave a lot less ice time to Adam Boquist and Olimata tonight, and he was obviously gave a decent amount of time to his top three 
I'm interested to see how that shakes out as well. I, I think I would like to maybe see a little bit of the, like some of those tweaks they made on defense happen again in game four and also take Nylander out. Those are probably the two things that I'm most interested in. Look at this point, I'm not going to fight you on the Nylander thing. Uh, I, I just don't want it to be John Quenville. Give me someone who's going to contribute something. Give me, even if it's Hagel, you know, I mean, he's in, he's Matthew Highmore 2.0, or Matthew Highmore B, whatever you want to call it, but he's going to play with some energy. He's going to play a North and South game and probably not going to hurt you. Um, if I could pick, I would pick Kurashev. Just see what he can do. Mm. And if he can't play, oh, well, you got to double shift Patrick Kane again. They do it all the time anyway. What does it matter, right? Um, or do seven defensemen. I I don't know. But uh, if I'm making a change, I guess that would be the one I would make is taking the under out, giving him a break. Uh, and and Jarner here says in the chat he had his best game tonight. That's true, but it still isn't much. It still <laughs> isn't effective enough. And I'm not saying I'm absolutely insisting that they bench him. But if there is one change I would consider it would be bringing in someone, giving someone else a look in that spot. Uh, but other than that, I don't know, man. They've gotten this far. They were they've been the better team through you know 120 minutes of 180, and. Um, I don't know. It's I know it would be a different story had they lost this game, but they did a lot of things right tonight, win or lose. They happen to win and they yeah. earned the win. But there was a lot of positive in this game. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'm changing anything. You just you've won two out of three. You're a 12 seed against the five and uh, you've gotten this far. So I'm, I, I think I'm just going to keep things as they are. Just sort of knowing that, that there's no way Cowan's going to go. Yeah, get a shot. The, the odds of that are so low. Yeah, I, I am curious to see also what Corey Crawford we get in game four, because I thought there were times tonight where his rebound control still was not the best. His positioning still wasn't the best. But I thought tonight more so than games one and two, I thought we saw some glimpses of standard Corey Crawford. And that is really that's a fascinating thing to me because if he can end up like kind of finding that skill set that we know that he has and he shakes the rust off finally and is Corey Crawford, they, the Blackhawks become such, they become a way more difficult team to play against if he's playing well. And that'd be something if they can win on Friday and if they can slam the door on this series, watching Corey Crawford, if he can boost his game up, that's a that's an interesting matchup. All right. Thanks for listening to the Man of Chicago Hockey Podcast. You still got a few seconds to hit up that tip jar if you'd like to do it. Uh, again, if you're listening on the uh, you know the traditional Madhouse Podcast, we do have a Patreon site, patreon.com slash Madhouse Pod. If you want to become a monthly donor of a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, uh, James and I greatly appreciate it. We do this uh, because we love it, but it also helps when it can help us out. Uh, you know, we're you know, jobs are weird and who knows what's going to happen to sports radio and to print media <laughs> in the next few months if sports aren't happening, especially the NFL. So, uh, yeah, hit us up if you like what we're doing. Uh, I hope you do. Uh, but with that, we're going to wrap things up. We'll talk to you Friday after game four. Hopefully we're celebrating a Hawks playoff advance to the playoffs on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.